Folks, this week on the Pre-Real Podcast, we're joined by Cody Davis. He's 23, and Christian Osgood, he's 31. They've built this amazing story. Uh, two young men that have really figured out this game. They're multifamily investors primarily, uh, though they're starting to dip their toe into some hospitality stuff. Uh, they've put together about 120-unit portfolio at this point. Um, they've got a real simplified approach to real estate, and I think that's what has allowed them to execute as effectively as possible. They're the founders of multifamily strategy. Some amazing takeaways from some from from young men in the business. Takeaways you would not experience normally unless you were seasoned in this business 15, 20 years. These kids really have it together. Uh, tremendous job. And I, and I say kids and I shouldn't because they're they're very, very seasoned investors. Uh, so give this a listen. A listen. It's Cody Davis and Christian Osgood, uh, founders of Multifamily Strategy. It was a really enjoyable conversation. Don't miss it this week, folks. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. We have got a super treat for you today. Uh, we're joined by Christian Osgood, Osgood and Cody Davis. Just to put a little perspective, folks, Christian's 31, Cody's 23. Uh, they are the founders of Multifamily Investing Strategy. Um, these are our amazing young men that were put on my radar by one of my younger team members that have seen the work that you're doing. Uh, you, you've now closed on 110 units and a resort. You're out there doing uh, what we hear about and we see all the time on these investment channels at a really young age. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I appreciate being here. Yeah, look, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you guys probably have heard it, but but I don't think you can understand the context of what it means to young investors and, and older uh, investors that are just starting in the game to see uh, young faces and to see people that are reflective of uh, more more of what the investment community now looks like versus what the investment community was as I came up through the ranks, boardroom, suit and tie. Uh, it was honestly extremely intimidating. And there was a lot of doubt of whether or not we ever were gonna, were gonna make it to the summit. Um, having you guys out there telling your story has absolutely meant the world to this uh, exploding community of investors of all different ages. Uh, but for folks that are just starting out to be able to see you guys out there, like I have to say, like tip of the hat, congratulations. Thank you for uh, sharing your story. It is absolutely amazing, guys. Appreciate that. One thing uh, that I've learned over the last three and a half years of doing this is that the story's worth more than the real estate. And 
in that uh, learning curve that I have experienced, I figured we should share it. So I started doing these little YouTube videos. Uh, there was like a minute, something long YouTube video with probably 10 or 20 edits in it because I was uncomfortable with the way it sounded, but I just felt it was the right thing to do. And a year after I started that, or so I partnered with Christian on a YouTube channel, College Route versus Entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's been really fun to share the whole thing since before we had anything. We actually mentioned the first building we were going to buy together on our first YouTube video together. And then we bought it 40 days later. Uh, that's incredibly bold, um, incredibly brave to put that story out there. And uh, you're right, the story is as valuable and you'll find in the years that you'll do this that every property has a story and it's our job to tell that property story. And those of us that can narrate that story better than the next are the ones that win in this business. You have to bring the asset to life. And you do that through the narrative and all of the channels that, that we're all using today. So how did you all meet? How did this come together? So we actually met, we were working at the same firm. So I knew of Cody, but he worked in a different building than me. Real uh, estate firm. Yeah, real estate firm. We were working in Tacoma. He was the, when I first knew he existed, I knew he was the uh, 20 year old with 24 units. And I had no idea how he got there. And I was focused on building my research call center for that uh, for that org. But we really hit it off when he went to uh, Grant Cardone's Growth Con. Our, the owner of that firm backed out at the last minute. He's like, hey, guys, I have a hotel. You guys are both going. There's two beds. You guys should just room together. Free, free room. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Reason budget for 20-year-old Cody. Yep. And I had just left my job to, uh, to start a new venture. So I was like, ah, budget's low. Let's do it. We were in together for three days. You get all pumped up from the whole entrepreneur thing. But more than that, we talked about goals and we realized that our goals were aligned. I was trying to figure out how to expand my real estate so that I could retire my wife from teaching. And Cody was trying to figure out how to expand his real estate to retire his mother. So we had very similar goals. We wanted to retire the women in our lives. And we figured at the rate that we're at, if we partnered, if we get to 100 units, but all cash flow, we're and, probably going to have enough. And it would take two years to do it. And for pacing, this was 2021. So by the time we had gone to this event, I was 21. I had 30 apartments. Christian had just bought his second duplex. So he had four apartments in his house. And his real estate finally paid for his real estate. As far as uh, normality mm -hmm. goes, I mean, you were doing great. Yeah, it was great. But that's what a six-year sales career got me. Is I got two duplexes that covered the mortgage on my house. Cody... At that time, you just hit 30 units, right? Yeah, I just bought my sixplex, which is right across the street from his duplex. I bought this place, and then two duplexes came on the market. And so I sold one of them, the better deal, to my friend. And then I, there was one left over. I was like, Christian, you should buy this. And he did, and he made a ton of money. He ended up selling that and buying into one of my deals when we went all in on the partnership. We started partnering on all the stuff I'd previously bought, but... Um, that's how we got to where we're at today. We started our YouTube channel, called our shots, said, we're going to buy a 38plex. And then shortly after that, we did sell our finance, no money down. And it took a total of 11 months to hit our goal of owning 100 units. It's fascinating. So those things don't happen without 
being very intentional and having real specific goals that are measurable, that um, goal setting is, is an art form that uh, most people don't do it right, if at all. Uh, and from what you're describing, your goals were, were pretty on point. So let's go back in time a little bit further, and, and then we'll jump forward to the Grant Cardone event. But you guys um, had some sort of real estate background, mentors in the business. Like, how, how did you get to the point where you realized, okay, real estate's the pathway. This is, this is where I want to spend my time. We both had completely different ways of getting there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go, go, go first. Go first. I like yours. 14 year old Cody was, um, I was at my mom's house and my parents split when I was eight. It was back in 2008. It's really easy to remember how old I am because it just tracks with the year. But 2008, my parents split. And then about six years later, my mom had a friend and he had been in real estate and through divorce had to liquidate, but he had 12 apartments. And so he, he gave me this book. You might've heard of it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so I read it and I got super excited and I wanted to buy a duplex. And then I realized that I was 14 years old and it was a little hard to buy real estate at 14 years old. But I put the book back down and went on with life. And then fast forward three-ish years, three and a half years, I was 17 or 18. And I was in my last year of high school. This would have been 2018. And uh, my, my teacher at the time, who was a civics teacher, so he was teaching us about torts and all this. He, last, he said, last day of school, you come to school, which nobody did. And I'll teach you how to make money when you sleep. And I thought that was pretty cool. And one of my buddies ended up telling me before that class, he, because he had been through it the, the quarter before. And he just said, hey, look, it, you just buy these $5,000 houses and you rent them out and then you get rich. And so I was like, all right, I want to know how that works. So I went to school and that's what he said. He bought a $5,000 house for sale by owner. It was that real estate concept again. So I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I got interested and I was cleaning up at um, a friend of my dad's house. They, they had a place and I was pressure washing and cleaning up outside landscaping because I thought that's what I wanted to do at the time I just had fun with it and they said you should join this Facebook group and so I joined the Facebook group made a post I wanted to buy a duplex by 21 I was 18 and so I figured you know at three years I can work a few jobs I was applying to multiple jobs I was a gymnastics coach for a few years I could get enough money to buy a duplex and someone online said hey because I was going to college at the time at the at this point you should just drop out of college, get your real estate license. You'll make a ton of money. And so I did it. And uh, I ended up at the firm where I met Christian. And for me getting into real estate, it was pretty simple. Uh, instead of reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I had a, a great real world example. My dad worked a nine to five and hated it, but it provided for us. So I didn't get a bunch of time with him, but we were really blessed that we had a single parent who was able, our one parent's income could cover both parents and the, my two siblings. So while that was awesome, my dad worked a lot of 11-hour days, six, seven days a week, so I didn't see enough of him. Next door, actually three doors down, uh, my friend Jake's dad, John, had bought rentals, fixed up houses, bought some small multifamily, bought a bunch of laundromats. And at around, I want to say he was about 35, he retired. 
nice house, not insane house, but a nice house, hot tub, convertible cars. I was like, wow, he has some toys. He has a house and he's out of the game. He just flips a house or two a year. And that was his whole thing. So that, that turned me on to real estate. I took the long way to get there though. He started as well, comparatively to Cody, uh, he had the, uh, he started as a banker and he saved up and he would take his money, buy a house, take his money, buy a house. He wanted to get his wife into the game. Uh, she had just immigrated from Canada, wasn't able to work here yet. So he's like, well, what can she do? I can buy some businesses. So bought a bunch of laundry mats. I'm like, well, if I'm trying to get started, I have to go start getting money. So I went to college, got a sales job in apparel, wanted to get into real estate. So worked at the CoStar Group. Uh, at the time, lands.com, they just acquired it. Then uh, sold for apartments.com, LoopNet, and CoStar Data Core Product. For those who don't know, CoStar is like the internet for commercial real estate. They own, they, they almost have a monopoly on the data. It's crazy. But worked for them. And I made the mistake that being in real estate is not the same as being an investor. I was around owners, property managers. I was in, but I wasn't in the game. It wasn't until 2020 when everything started shutting down where I realized, hey, I'm not actually where I wanted to be. I'm in a high paying job and I have no real estate outside of my house. So bought my first duplex, fell in love with buying real estate, quit my job right there, <laughs> bought another duplex, and then we bought the 38plex together uh, not long after that. So you you say you took the long way. Um... <laughs> I can tell you, Christian, that most people never get there. Most people never make that leap. Um, our core business was real estate brokerage. And for 20 years, I struggled with making millionaires out of people that just, you know, it was the real estate, believe me, that was really driving the portfolios. It wasn't the investor. Um, and for a number of reasons, I was blocked and I just was not able to make the transition. I, I bought and sold deals at that point and I was in and out of a number of deals, but not anywhere near my level of proficiency would have allowed me to. Um, and it took actually the podcast several years ago, uh, I was on with a <laughs> uh, a really talented coach and he totally called me out like we had the show and at the end of the show he was like what's going on man you're miserable like like who, what's this bullshit you're talking about like you know yeah you're at the top of your game but that that's not your passion it, it's obvious it bleeds through and it, it took a, a real slap in the mouth for me to make that shift and now we you know we're off to the races and and we've been blessed but uh, don't sell yourself short, brother. You're saying you took the long way. There's a lot of, of folks that get stuck out there and why I was so excited to have you guys on because it is an inspiration to see you guys actually out there doing it. Now, most people get lost when they make this decision and they get stuck in the institutional world and they start trying to figure a way to you know, fit this square peg in a round hole and how are they going to qualify for institutional level debt and how are they going to, you know, have this, this large deposit and how are they going to show the experience to the bank and how are they going to meet all the debt service coverage ratios and how and how and how and they analyze it to death and they never get to the next step. 
how did you guys bridge the gap? What was the the step you took that said that's probably not the way for us? Yeah, so there's a there's a couple of things. I I knew I wasn't going to qualify for bank because everyone told me. I didn't have to assume. I was just told it wasn't going to work. And so the the way that my first deal popped up, there was someone else in the office and a broker who had 22 units on the contract for a client. Seller finance. So it's the first time I heard about it. That buyer couldn't perform. It was 300 grand down and it was seller finance. So you didn't need a bank. You didn't need approval. My mentor at the time said, what if you bought it? I said, well, that'd be great, but I'm $300,000 short. And uh, so I, I can't do it. He's like, what if you borrowed it from who? I have investors. I'll put it together for you. And he was going to make money. I was going to make money. So I was like, okay. Seller said no to a one week extension that we needed to get it closed and funded. So that went away. But that was the first time I heard about seller financing. That guy that was going to help me, my original mentor, who was the owner of that real estate brokerage we worked for, he didn't just, it was going to fall into my lap. The next deal, I thought it would be the same way. It wasn't. I actually had to, to figure it out. He, he helped me, but he didn't um, just give me the money and just give me the deal. I, I went out and found the deal, and I had to actually go pitch a whole bunch of investors throughout the office. But what we found to be true for playing this game is we keep everything really simple. It's not for other people. That's for me because I'm not super smart. I know how to use the pieces I have. I just don't have a lot of pieces. So simplify everything. And then we go in with an objective and walk away with a takeaway. Because that keeps us intentional. So we go in with a goal for all of our meetings, whether it's with an investor now or, or a property manager or a tenant or a potential business venture partner. And then we leave it with a takeaway. A lot of people go and they just wander through their meetings and they don't really identify what is the number one takeaway I got from this meeting? What's the number one thing, if there was one thing that I got out of this conversation? And when you start identifying the one thing and then you just become a master of it, you put it into practice until you're an expert, eventually you start getting different takeaways from the conversations. And that's, I didn't know how to articulate that in the beginning, but that's what we did over and over and over, every owner meeting, every investor meeting, every time I met with a tenant because I self-managed my 30 apartments. It was an adventure, but I would go in with an objective to learn and leave with a takeaway. And we started implementing that amongst the partnership. And that is what allowed us to really simplify everything and not worry so much about the unknowns because there's always going to be unknowns. And in line with keeping it simple, we have a a rule of not adding steps. It doesn't mean you can skip steps because you absolutely can't skip steps, but well, you can, it just won't go well. Yeah, exactly. You start with, okay, where am I actually heading? So you start with what is the goal? And that's what Cody and I ultimately did at that growth con. We're in the hotel together. We set, we had similar goals and that's what you need for partnership is, okay, we're heading the same direction. We know where we're going. What would it actually take to get there? And then we don't add any steps. The one thing, and it's the simplest thing in all of real estate. I wish someone had told me before I did the whole college to get a job, job to get a second job, that whole route was you're not a real estate investor until you buy a piece of real estate. You don't have to think too far past that. If you want to get into the game, for Cody, it was a 12 plex. For me, it was a duplex. I'm a huge proponent of multifamily. So I, I say duplex should probably be the smallest you go. That's my opinion. I agree. But buy the property. All you have to do is figure out how to do that. Once you get that step out of the way, the rest of it is so much easier. If I heard anything when I started, 
I wish I heard that 10 years before I did. Cause I could have been, you know, Cody was 19 when he bought his first deal. I could have been assuming I had the same life trajectory I had could have got out of college at 22 could have figured out how to do this. And money is the least important part of that. But back to the investing piece, if you want to own rental property, then wholesaling is off the table because that's a sales job. Flipping's off the table because that's a sales job. There's some other weird terms that people are trying to create just to recreate the wheel online. A lot of gurus are recreating some of those terms into, you know, there's ones for daisy chaining and all that, but it's not investing. That's a sales job. So if you want to buy rentals, buy rentals. It's just deal debt equity. You do it in that order. The money, the equity piece is the, the least important part. That's why it goes last. That's usually the smallest piece. Yeah, it's usually the small one. You get the deal. That's the biggest part. And then as far as the money goes, the debt's usually the biggest part of the money. So you just figure out the little piece at the end and you can borrow it or do an equity partner if you need to with a buyout. But people confuse that. They get they add steps to that equation. There's no extra steps. Well, they they add steps uh, in large part because that's their subconscious response to fear and they're putting obstacles in their path and they don't acknowledge that that's what they're doing. So um, be careful when you say you're not, you're not that smart. You figured this whole damn thing out at 23 years old. It took me, and now prior to me launching the investment side, um, you know, we've got hundreds of units now. We're in a number of different asset classes, but it took me 20 years being at the top of my game in what I did. We, we brokered $100 million deals. We did every type of, of transaction you can imagine. We had a billion dollars in transactional real estate under our belts before I made the jump. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. On that point. I'm really good at addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division, and the logic test. When I say I'm not that smart, my vocabulary sucks. Christian can verify that. There's a lot of words that I don't know what they mean. And uh, when it comes to life skills, I don't have many. But I, I just understand very simple math and logic. And all of what I've done, I've just logic my way through it. And when I look at a deal, you add up all the income, you subtract all the expenses and then the debt, and you either have a positive number or negative. And I logic my way through it. Is it feasible to put it together? Uh, and if yes, then yes. But the whole smart comment is just, those are the very select few things. You had a baby Yoda comment on that. but Oh yeah. One of our investors calls Cody baby Yoda because he's like, he doesn't. I don't really have any life skills because he hasn't lived long enough to do anything. Right? Much. He hasn't lived on his, his own. Didn't go through, yeah, yeah. But but at the time, he had just moved out from his parents not that long ago. Didn't know how to cook. Really didn't know how any appliances work. But you put him in front of a piece of real estate, and all of a sudden, it's just crazy. He could just he could knock out deals that no one else could figure out how to do, and it's so simple. I always call Cody the best buyer of real estate. I think he is actually the best buyer of real estate in the country. He can so, take it apart and just go, hey, this is what's going to make the deal work. I can put together an offer. Let's go. And it just gets accepted. Crazy. So that's what I do. I got stuck on money doesn't matter. Being a broker in New York City, being in that world and in that environment, 
the deck the deck was stacked against you making it into the the boys club it was a totally different time and if you didn't have the money you didn't have the deal so here i was putting together deal after deal after deal after deal after deal for other people and it wasn't until later in my career i found out they didn't have the money either so <laughs> i was packaging these things for people and then they were going and doing what you figured out cody at a very very young age and if there is any takeaway that you're going to take out of this podcast folks let it be money does not matter if you have the deal you're going to find the money and if you have the skill set to find the deal you mentioned billion plus dollars of transactions that's ridiculous that's a lot it's actually a lot um the ability to do that is worth way more than the people putting together the capital yep because they could they could bridge all the money they want. If they can't buy stuff, they can't figure out the relationship piece. And they may be able to buy a nice car or a nice house, but they're not getting the real estate that we want to buy. Yeah. And there's a lot more money out there than there are great real estate deals to buy. They're not even printing it anymore. They can just add it to the digital currency. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> add digits. What's yep. the circulation? It's out of zero. Yeah, bank went under. Cool. We'll back all you guys. We'll just print it. That's gonna work. Yep. Well, it's fascinating that you guys cut through this the way you did. Um, I really applaud you for, for how you've accelerated this process and you've identified and simplified the things that you can outsource. Um, and without a doubt, the deal, if you've got the deal, um, you've got the golden goose. So what was the, the, the experience like when you went to uh, the Grant Cardone seminar? Was that productive for you guys? That was fun for us. I think we went to the first two days and then enjoyed the beach on the third day. <laughs> yep. we, we got our takeaways. I had a, I had one takeaway from that that actually really, funny enough, launched. It wasn't the takeaway I expected, but we do review all of our takeaways all the time. Uh, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, which was one of the very few shows that were just fantastic on Discovery. His speech launched our career. It, it really did. He talked about, so he started in uh, infomercials. That's where he got his, his start. And they would put an item in front of him that he has no idea what it is. And he has to talk about it coherently for eight minutes. And the ability for him to talk about anything confidently for eight minutes allowed him to launch Dirty Jobs. Because he's like, hey, I, I get thrown into situations I know nothing about, and I just have to talk about it while the camera's on. And if I can do that, we're fine. And it never rolls for more than eight minutes on a clip, so I'm good. We took that skill, which conveniently, YouTube algorithm, the cutoff is eight minutes for when it wants to push you. Uh, but when we started talking uh, online about what we were doing, the ability to get in front of people and just go, you know what, I'm going to open my mouth. And even when I don't know exactly what direction I'm going, like when I started this sentence, I know I'm going to land where I need to go. And we applied that to our entire career. And that's our whole ability to communicate with people coherently came from that one speech with micro saying, Hey, this is what I, this is the skill that I had. We adopted that skill and we applied that same principle to all of real estate. And it got really ridiculous when I heard the other line from Cardone, where he said, you don't have to remember what you said, if you tell the truth. So we combined this, uh, the skill set of just you don't need to remember anything you say if you tell the truth and then if you can talk about anything for eight minutes you're set so we don't script 
anything. And I never remember what I say. I have to rewatch stuff. But as long as it's the truth, I don't have to remember. It's always fun when we watch our YouTube channel. I'm like, what do we say about this? It's a, it's a new experience every time. But we batch record the YouTube channel. So we have someone come in here. We write out topics. And he's like, okay, uh, in two hours, you're going to shoot, what do we do, 12 YouTube videos? And we sit down. We knock them all out. We don't re-record anything. No editing, minus, you know, sticking in an intro, and away we go. Yeah, he does the whole zoom in, zoom out thing. But if you look at all our original stuff, it was just eight minutes straight. There was one where Christian dropped an F-bomb, and we forgot. <laughs> we forgot to clip it. So we literally did. It's our Florida video, for those who are watching. But we did a whole intro. Christian made a slight mistake. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to say it. But he, he dropped his F-bomb, and then we just started over to the intro exactly the same. It didn't mess up. So we don't edit, <laughs> but the ability to just do that, that was our number one takeaway from that event. And that plays so well when you're doing the whole pitch a deal investor meeting. If you can get in those and you just know in the back of your mind, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter because I know the deal. I know why we're the right buyers for it. And I know no matter where the conversation goes, I can open my mouth and just confidently communicate. It works all over real estate. And the principle of just get your takeaway my goodness, that's everyone we met. We called our company Multifamily Strategy solely because all we do is we meet with masters of the game and we get one or two takeaways from them on how they got to where they're at. When we started, most of the people that we talked to who have been playing the game for a long time, who already had that 100 plus units we were after, they had low debt. They've been playing for a long time. They had a few partners. They weren't syndicating. They weren't wholesaling. Few of them were part-time brokers because they loved brokering, not because they needed the money. Mm -hmm. And all those takeaways, just like the micro speech, those little teeny pieces, you can condense time. When you have someone who's been in the game for 50 years, they give you those few nuggets on how they got there. We got to do it in two years because we talked to 50 people who got there in 40, 50 years. And we applied all those little pieces. And that's, that's all multi-family strategy is about. It's just... Who's mastering what you want to do in your market? That's the best person to teach you. Go out and meet them. That's and it. That, and that's the beauty of, of today. This is truly the greatest time to, to be in real estate. The tools that are available, um, I found the community as I came up through the ranks to be just, it, it is an amazing community. People want to help. They're happy to, to pass along the knowledge that they've, they've uh, accumulated. Those who are not, you probably don't want to talk to them anyway. Um, and, and there's more than enough of, of, of us out there that are happy to sit down and chat and talk through, um, you know, our takeaways and pass them along to the, the next generation. Uh, it's cathartic. And it's, it's something that I, I've grown to enjoy immensely. I, I love that you guys have this this philosophy of like, you know, we're not going to concern ourselves with all of the potential contingencies because number one, no one can possibly forecast everything that's going to occur with a deal. Anyone who tells you that something is not going to go wrong with every deal is a liar because something goes wrong with every one of them. But that's where you make your bones. That's where you separate the experts from the TikTok investors, right? It's going through that and understanding how to adapt and pivot and adjust in the moment, keep your cool and still hit your marks, still hit your returns. That's what matters at the end of the day. Um, it's brilliant. I absolutely love what you guys are doing. Uh, if we can, 
I'd love to jump in on a deal or two and just talk about like, what are your metrics? What are you guys looking for in a deal? Uh, what type of returns? What, what, what are the things? Let me not put words in your mouth. You tell me when you're looking for a deal, what are the things that you're looking for? You talk parameters, but I'm going to start with the first and main thing. We're looking for a long-term fixed rate cash flowing debt. Define long-term. Long-term. So two, two things on it. Long-term, I would usually call 10 years plus. However, not every deal we've done gets us there. It's having a very, very, very clear path to get it into long-term cash flowing fixed rate debt. And in the past, a decade plus is plenty long-term for people getting started. Today, it's a little different for us. So if we're doing a bank refinance, we're taking it to 10-year minimum debt. Mm -hmm. And we do our fixed rate mortgages and we're good. And that's going to be a commercial product because we're buying commercial residential real estate. However, we don't need to do 10-year debt anymore. Long-term for us means that we can pay off the mortgage before it's due. So we've got a $3.5 million mortgage due in eight years. It's not 10 years, but we can pay it off before it's due. Out of the cash flow from the asset. Mm -hmm. We've got a three-year mortgage on a little duplex development site. We can pay it off before it's due. It doesn't take three years to pay that off. So long-term in the beginning, we're talking decade plus. After you build a little portfolio, it's an asset that you can afford to write a check for before the term is up, because that is a long enough horizon for you to ensure you're not gonna lose it. That leads into our criteria. Let's figure out how do I buy it and how do I never lose it? And then the last piece, which is really not important to people getting started is will it be fun? Because it doesn't need to be fun in the beginning. You just need to get started. But for us, how do you buy it is you line up your deal and your debt and your equity. How do you never lose it is long-term fixed rate debt that cash flows with margin. So we've been screaming for the last three years on this podcast about what's coming. And we have seen deal after deal come through that if there was the slightest hiccup, you weren't able to meet your debt service deals where people were banking on penetrating a new market, adding 30% to the existing rents, cutting expenses in a new market in an inflationary period by 20%. And those were the guys that were taking those quarter and half point discounts to go to adjustable rates because otherwise the deals didn't perform. And you know we've been screaming about it, that these small to mid cap banks are gonna get crushed when the big guys were not filling that vacuum uh, from the institutional side, the smaller mid-cap banks jumped in and they were given these three-year loans. And it's like, if you can't get through a cycle, long-term to me is I've got to be able to get to the other side of the rainbow. So wherever I am in the economic cycle, we forget that as investors. It goes up, it goes down, it turns back over, right? You need to be able to get to that other side where there is massive amounts of institutional debt available, you can refi out into these 10, 15, 20-year fixed products, not at the absolute best rate you can get in the moment because you're not cutting your term all the way down. That's how you survive long-term. And what we're starting to see now, this run on the banks is, it. I think this is going to make 2008 look like tea with Mother Teresa. I think that this is going to be a bloody year. Uh, but it is set up where the big banks are going to just continue to get bigger and those small to mid cap banks are going to be giving, even performing notes away to stay in compliance. 
uh, and it's going to be a historic opportunity. So are you guys targeting seller financing deals only at this point on the way in? No, I mean, seller financing was a, a means to get in, but Christian bought his first deals without seller financing. The, the board of operations is deal, debt, equity, and that's for how do you buy it. It doesn't say deal, seller, finance, equity. It's deal, debt, equity. You have to find the best debt product. Seller financing is not the best debt product for every deal. It's not. It could be, but it's not feasible that it, it will be for every opportunity. So you have to line up the best product. We've bought deals with hard money. He's bought deals conventionally. Now I've done conventional deals. We're working on some conventional purchases right now. I've only done conventional refis. But you have to line up the best debt product. So we're not just targeting seller financing. We're looking for the opportunity. Because if we just targeted seller financing, we'd be looking at debt deal equity. And then that's going to cap the deals that we're going to be able to get our eyes on. Yeah, I think the seller financing came into play for us as the optimal debt product for two reasons. One, when we were starting, we didn't qualify, or at least Cody didn't qualify for conventional financing. And for the size deals that we were buying, our first deal together being a 38 units, neither did I. So when we got started, that was off the table. Then as we started to actually build some net worth, we ran into the issue of uh, interest rates doubled. So seller financing was a fantastic solution for a lot of these because people who were still stuck on their price, but the bank interest rates just wouldn't allow it to work, were able to come in and it's like, well, everything's negotiable. So we were able to play on the rules that they wanted to play on with just completely ignoring the shift in the market. So that was a huge advantage. Now that people are starting to accept, okay, interest rates are higher, they're probably going to stay up, and people are now scared because the banks are finally popping. I, I saw two. I don't. I haven't looked at the news yet this morning, so I imagine we're going to see some more fun this week. But as we're starting to see it all unravel, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like to get lending or if seller financing is just the way we continue to do things. Because I don't know enough, not having gone, like 2008 was before I was in the game. We just went mutual seconds ago on a, another seller finance deal. Oh, huzzah. huzzah. Okay. Well, there we go. So we're still, <laughs> doing, go. <laughs> we're still doing the seller financing, but it'll be interesting to see what bank policy looks like because I'm imagining it tightens up a lot in the near future. So it's a yeah. method and it seems to be the right time to be really good at it. So we're in an inverted curve. So the big banks know that they'll be able to lend their capital at a higher rate in the not too distant future. So they're, they are going to, at this point, tighten the screws down. They're going to let the small and mid-cap banks get gobbled up in large part by them. Um, there'll be an opportunity to buy defaulted debt, even performing defaulted debt, because the default will be on the bank side because they're out of charter, which is a, a neat little thing. Um, but there'll be a run of that. And then the, the big banks will step back in as rates normalize and they'll start to, uh, to offer fixed debt at a you know reasonable term um i would say in the next 12 to 18 months toward the 18 month piece but that's when we'll see that normalize uh, but it's going to be i think the greatest buying opportunity of my lifetime over the next year and a half so you know we've put ourselves in a position to, to be able to capitalize on it um you guys are, uh, you, you took down 110 units and you took down the resort. Is that the Robin Hood Village Resort? Is that what that deal is? Could uh, you give, the canal. You give the audience a, a few minutes on what that deal is about? Yeah, so that one was fun. It's my favorite property. 
every time I go there, the first thing I say to Christian, I look around, it, it's a cabin resort on the Hood Canal. And I look around and say, Christian, I can't believe we did this. It, it, is so the, cool. it is the coolest thing that we've ever bought today. And it's not like it's Taj Mahal, but it's really fun. It was built by John Beckman. He was the set designer who partnered with Walt Disney way back when for the Robin Hood movie back in the 30s. He built this. And so the Robin Hood Village Resort was built by the set designer who partnered with Walt on the Robin Hood movie in the 30s with Errol Flynn. It's just a fun piece of history. It's got a beautiful campus. We've got 12 acres. Originally, it was nine and a half acres at the Robin Hood. It's got a little bit of waterfront. It's got a dock. But then there was a, a triplex that came for sale, adjacent real estate, two and a half acres. And so I called them up. It was on Zillow. They wanted to be cashed out. And I said, hey, would you sell or finance this? And I said, we have debt on it. But we'll, ju we'll just pay it off. We'll sell or finance it. So they wrote a check for their debt. And uh, we bought that on a contract. And then we assembled it. And the fun part was, one of the prior owners of the Robin Hood was the person who built this house, Mr. Woodcox. And it's a the triplex house. We call it the sauna house. It's got one upstairs and two downstairs. And so he built the house. So we got to actually reconnect the campus. But my favorite part about it is he owned a lot of the campus. He didn't own the main pub building. The, uh, the Nordstrom's owned it. And so the prior owner that sold to us bought from the Nordstrom. So we got to assemble this, this huge campus that hadn't been assembled before. So that, that's my favorite part about the whole story. We got to put something back together, put together a piece of history. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. And it was all seller financed. <laughs> yeah, zero bank loans and zero dollars out of pocket. We bought um, $7 million of real estate. Is it a, like a limited hospitality play? What's the, the end product here? What, do you, what is it that you're doing with it? Yeah, so it was run primarily as a two to three day stay. You come into the hotel, cabin getaway, you get your hot tub, you can go kayaking, go see the seals, go see the wolves. And, and through the summer, a wedding venue. Yeah, but we are primarily using it as an event space. We have our own events and we're doing a lot of weddings. We're working on getting the Writers Club. There's a PNW Writers Club that hosted their event in January. I can't remember where they host. I think it was Puyallup or something. But we're going to try and get them in next year to fill in some winter stuff. But a big gonna, country music concert that's going yeah, to be there this year. We're doing concerts again, bringing music back to Union, which is something that they've been missing out on for a long time. It used to happen. We want to just embrace what it used to be, not change change it. So that's that's the story behind the Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a huge advocate for going out of your lane. Like we're good at multifamily. We're good at acquisition and stabilization. I mean, we're really good at that. We can come in. We have the teams to turn a unit. We make things really nice. And primarily we're entry level housing. We, we make it really nice. And we cut, we were able to cut down on property management fees by starting our own property management company. And so we're able to come in. Typically we're just a little bit under market rent for above average market inventory because we fix them up really nice. So we just have fantastic leasing and that is what we are good at. We did this one because we hit our goal, 100 units. This came up and I was like, this is the adventure that we want to have. But I always, I always say that on all the podcasts, if you're going to do something, it is a best practice to stay in your lane. Hospitality is out of our lane and it was really, really difficult to learn a brand new space. I do not regret it at all, but that is where we would have just been rich had we not bought that. Yeah, 
that was a that was a huge sacrifice. It will move us forward, but that was a huge, huge undertaking. That is why that rule will it be fun is so important, especially as you get established, because we could be done. Instead, we decided to have an adventure, and I'm super glad we did. It's it's very easy, guys, to get lost, and you'll you'll lift your head up, and a decade will come off the calendar. I promise you. So uh, we just That's did a. We just did a, a similar deal where we took a golf course and a 1,400-unit housing complex that was at one point together, and it got bifurcated and had its challenges. We bought the two assets independently, put them back together. Same thing. We didn't have experience in that space specifically, um, but it is so rewarding. It is so fun. You, you get to do all the things that you're talking about. You get to bring great amenities back to the community and you have to enjoy what you're doing. Uh, because if you don't, I promise you 10 years will go by and, and you'll, you'll lift your head up and go, what in the hell just happened here? I've got two kids and, you know, I haven't lifted my head up for the last decade. Uh, I, I love every single thing that you guys are doing. You're winning in every single way. Uh, congratulations on absolutely all the success. Where's the best way for folks to, to find you? We have a YouTube channel. Our videos are getting a little better than they used to be. If you watch some of our first videos, they were pretty rough. But However, we documented everything. We documented it all from before we owned anything together. That is Cody and Christian Multifamily Strategy. So as always, folks, uh, the links will be below. Guys, I, I really appreciate the time. Cody Davis, Christian Osgood, um, founders of Multifamily Strategy. Love what you're doing. Congratulations on all the success and thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Absolutely. Best of luck, guys. As always, please, everybody stay safe.